0: Yellowful Vosinus, let's get 1 John chapter 3. You can turn to 1 John chapter 3. We're continuing the series about the spiritual battle. We've talked about the battleground, the mind and the heart. We talked about battle tactics, various devices of Satan. Uh, We talked last week about battle barriers and strongholds and what they look like and just gave you a handful of of uh, mental and emotional strongholds that the devil can use against us. Today, I, I can't use the phrase battle something something, so it's still in line with that idea. Today we're going to talk about dog tags. Dog tags. Because many of you men, if you were in the army, you uh, probably had those and maybe still have those. This is common to pretty much any army throughout the world. They wear dog tags. Dog tags are identifiers. So what we're essentially talking about is your identity in Christ, your identity as a believer. And I I want to walk you through several things. I have 10 different things I want to show you. And this is, I I dare say, scratching the surface. There's more to the list, I, I believe. But you'll see, you'll get the idea of what is true about you because you're in Christ. Because you're saved, there are some things about you that are now true that will never change. It doesn't matter what's happening to you or what you're doing, good or bad, these things will always be true. And uh, one of the devices of Satan is to get you to doubt these things, to misunderstand these things. I've explained it like this in the past. If you are uh, a gardener and you happen to work at the president's house in the garden, but somehow somebody can convince you that you're not the gardener, you're the president, Well, the next day you show up to work, you're going to walk into the office, sit at his desk, start answering the phones, making, you know, big decisions, signing legislation. People are going to come in and start to wonder, what in the world are you doing? It's because you don't know who you are. You don't know what you've been deployed to do and what your purpose is. So that's the goal today is to properly define what it means to be a believer in Christ, what goes with that. And uh, so we're referring to this as those spiritual dog tags. On dog tags, usually there's at least four pieces of information. There's your name, your ID number, your religion, and your blood type. Now, you can obviously see how these would be applicable if something's happening on the battlefield and you're wounded and about to die. It was very common, especially in wartime. You call for the appropriate minister to come and help that person uh, translate from one world to the next and that type of thing. Usually dog tags were made in duplicate And there were multiple reasons for this. You would hang two of them around the soldier's neck because, let's say that something happens and one uh, dog tag gets damaged, you need the other one to have all the information. So you're just duplicating so that you make sure you still have that information. But also, if the soldier were to pass away, one dog tag was taken off of his neck and given... Uh, It turned into his commanding officer and then they could properly report that this man has passed the other one would stay with the soldier as he went uh, To the hospital to the morgue whatever it is so they could identify the body so many reasons that there was done in in duplicate Let me perhaps step into the spiritual realm with that a little bit I think it's important that we have this information about our identity in Christ in duplicate Here's what I mean by that We, we have an external and an internal right? We, we, we have the external right here in the Word of God and it's good It's good that you have this in your hands and you can refer to it and remind yourself of these things because as you go through life it will be very tempting to look at that and think, okay, that's what it says but I don't feel like that. Now remember the battlegrounds, heart and mind. And some, somewhere it will either be an intellectual or an emotional challenge. You'll read it and go, yes, that's what it says but I don't feel like that. Or I don't understand how that can be true. But that's what God said. So we need the external reminder. And I think it's good that you have it in your hands always. However, the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Let the word of Christ, the Bible says, dwell in you richly. Right. So these, these words should be external, but also internal. I think it's good if you... Look at these verses today, perhaps jot them down, go over them again and again, as often as necessary until you learn these verses, even to the point of memorizing them. I know some folks are challenged with memories, you know, with with, uh, remembering things, but good to get these thoughts stuck in you. 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, now in the day and age in which we live, society in, in large seems to be having an identity crisis. All the way down to, am I a girl or am I a boy? We, we have lost focus. We've lost the ability to discern those simple things. Whew, then it's a greater challenge. Okay, now that I'm in Christ, what else does that mean? And, and what does that entail? So very good that we talk about identity. Two things that are going to be consistent through this list. You're going to see you, are, you have a security that comes with being in Christ. A security. You'll see it in the list. Number two, you have a significance. You are significant and you are secure in Christ. Now, one thing the devil will, let's say two things the devil will do is try to come in and make you feel insignificant. Why? I'm not a big deal. Who am I? I'm nothing. I, I, I make no difference in the body of Christ. That's not true. I mean, you can go too far the other way with that, but you can't go as far as to say I am insignificant. Not in Christ you're not. And also the devil will come in and try to make you think that you have a lack of security. Well, I'm in Christ, but that's just for now. I'm not sure if this will hold true forever. Well, this is where we stand on the promises of God, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. You are in his hand, and no man can pluck you out. Now, now that's security. And we need to know that because there's some days where, based on our behavior or our bad intellect or emotions, we're going to think that we don't have that security. You do because it comes from God and not from you. You are not kept by your own power. The Bible says in First Peter 1 verse 5, you are kept by the power of God. That, that's an important verse. You're not keeping yourself in this standing with God. Now, we'll talk about standing and state as we go, but these things that we're going to talk about are true. Always so secure and significant now 1st John chapter 3 first thing I want to talk about is You are a child of God 1st John 3 verse 1 behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not the world didn't recognize Jesus as the son of God They're not going to recognize you as one of his uh, children either Your behavior, your demeanor, your way of life, your way of thinking is foreign to them because they're not in your family. Just like when I meet people of other cultures and other families, it looks a bit strange to me because it's not how I grew up. In the family of God, we grow up in a different way. We learn to act differently, think differently, feel differently. Verse 2, beloved, now, now you might want to circle that word, now, now. You're not waiting to become a child of God when Jesus comes. You're not waiting for the new birth to happen at the end of your life. You're not, you don't have to wait for the judgment. Yeah. And God says, okay, now I let you in. Now you're part. No, no, now. Now. You say, can I, can I say right now today that I am saved? Can I know it? Yes, John knew it. He, and he said to these people, beloved, now are we the sons of God. And praise God, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Hallelujah, it's going to get better. <laughs> what you see in the mirror is you're not stuck with that. Praise God. <laughs> it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's the predestinated plan of God. This is the whole show wrapped up in one little verse here. The whole show is to make you more like Jesus. And we know that project is not complete until we stand before Him completely conformed, not just inwardly, but even outwardly with a new, glorified, resurrected body. We shall be like Him. And that process is complete when we see Him. So you're a child of God, and you're you're a child of God right now. Now that's your standing. Nothing can change that. You're His child. I have... Three kids, Megan, Caleb, Amy. Two of them live in America. One, our 14-year-old, she played the piano just now. Uh, my son's getting married in a few weeks, and we're excited about that. Now now listen, my son, he's been my son since the day he was born. And when he gets married, that's not going to change. Still my son. My oldest daughter, she's been my daughter since the day she was born. I didn't think I could love any, anybody or anything that much. And as time has gone on, I've just loved her more and more. Even when she had a few rough, rough times, gave me a rough time, still my daughter. And then when she got married, fantastic young man, she took on a new name, still my daughter. Still my daughter. It's not my name, but still my daughter. Does that make sense? So, so her standing is this, she is my daughter. That will never change. It doesn't matter what decisions she makes. It doesn't matter what changes happen. She is my daughter. But the state of things, now she is my married daughter. She was my unmarried daughter. You see, when she was going through a rough patch, she was a rebellious daughter. Now she's a a submissive, humble, yielded to the spirit daughter. You see how that part can change, but the daughter part will never change. So you're a child of God, yes. That doesn't mean that you're a good child. (laughs) You might be a rebellious brat. You can just say amen right there. That, you could be a rebellious brat, but that doesn't make you any less a child of God. You, you just might not be a happy one. Looking around the room, that might be true for some of you. That's <laughs> the ones that didn't laugh there, okay. <laughs> the Bible says before you got saved, you were a child of wrath. You were a child of disobedience. Jesus, Jesus said it like this, you were a child of hell. You were born of hell. Your behavior straight out the pits of hell. Now that's strong language, but that communicates properly who you were. That was your identity. And that's, that explains why you acted the way you did. You were just being you. But now that you're saved, you're a child of God, all right, be that new you. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. That is a, that is a doctrinal, spiritual fact that does not change. You're a child of God now, you want to act like that. Take your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Let me give you another one. We have 10 things to go through, so I'm not going to linger on any of these too, too long. Ephesians chapter 2, and let's get verse 19. Ephesians 2 and verse number 19. Uh, The second thing I want to say is you are a citizen of heaven, you're a citizen of heaven and this gives you both security and significance. As a South African citizen, this comes with certain rights and privileges that are not afforded, uh, afforded to outsiders and to foreigners. They're special and unique to South Africans and every country is like that. As a citizen of heaven, you have special security and significance as one of those citizens. Ephesians 2:19 Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Uh, Hold your, well, you can just come back a little bit, maybe the same page. Ephesians 2 and verse 6. So you're not a foreigner anymore. You're part of God's family. You're a citizen of heaven. Ephesians 2 and 6, it says, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. You know, sometimes when this world gets a bit too hectic and you get overwhelmed, remind yourself There's a part of me that has already made it. Now you see, all of these verses we're going to look at today, you would not be able to recognize these things through your natural eyes, your natural observations, your own intellect. You couldn't figure this out. God has to tell you these things are true. All of these things are revealed truths, and we must accept them by faith. You're a citizen of heaven. Do you have an ID card? I mean, you don't have physical dog tags to show you that. When you got saved, they didn't float down from heaven, you know, shining, (laughs) shiny gold and go, here you go. But you have a promise right there that you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're at the right hand of God. You know, it's a good exercise every now and then to just stop what you're doing, close your eyes, because if you leave your eyes open, you get too distracted by what you see. Just close your eyes and think about it. If I am seated in Christ, that means I'm at the right hand of God. Have you ever done this? Have you ever just, just looked up? Because <laughs> he's right there. He, he's that close. Is, is, is the Bible telling you the truth on this? Do you believe that? If you believe that, then he's, he's right there. Man, I can just reach out. there. <laughs> now, I'm doing it by faith and not by sight, but there he is, a citizen. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Brother Rex Harrison used to sing a song on this topic. I'm already over on the other side, waiting on my brand new body. I'm living up there in the heavenly fair at the right hand of the Father. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm living in Christ, you see. I'm already there in Jesus. I'm waiting on my body to be. That's good. I don't have one foot in the grave. I have one foot in heaven. (laughs) You hit me hard enough, I'll just be there. (laughs) 1 Peter 2, verse 11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He calls us strangers and pilgrims. Why? Because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I, I'm not a citizen of this earth in a spiritual way. Right? I, I understand that some of you know my situation. I am a permanent resident of South Africa. I am not a South African citizen. I still have an American passport. I'm an American citizen. And like it or not, that's who I am, right? That's my standing. That's my standing. That's how it, that's how it is. So when I'm in South Africa as an American citizen, I am a foreigner. That comes across all the time. People meet me and they go, you're not from here. The accent gives it away right away, right? They, they they talk Afrikaans to me. I give them a little bit of Afrikaans, and they know immediately he's not from here. <laughs> that that was an attempt at Afrikaans, but you know I have been people have thought Canada, UK, Holland. They, they think I have a, a Netherlands kind of an accent sometimes. That, that's on my good days of Afrikaans, <laughs> and and they all and it generates a good conversation. It's not like it's a bad thing. They just know you're not from around here. Listen, you oughta, you ought to talk. And act and be different enough in this world When, when they're around you they go Wait a minute you're a citizen of somewhere else aren't you Because you're not, you're not like the rest of the world They ought to know that there's a difference They ought to know you're a stranger and a pilgrim You know what a pilgrim is? He's somebody that's on a journey going to some other place I'm not trying to make a permanent home down here I'm laying stuff up on the other side I'm a citizen of heaven Praise God even if I do a horrible job today in the pulpit, if I get angry after the service, if I have a bad day at home, it doesn't change my citizenship. Now, I'm not, maybe I'm not a good citizen, but I'm a citizen. Thank God that, that is always true. Look at First Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, third thing. Number three, you are a member of Christ's body. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and that will never change. Folks, for the rest of eternity, you're a part of that group. You are one of us. <laughs> we're in the same body, but we are all members, different members in particular, but members of that body. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17, it says, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit, right? And we're not physically joined, we're spiritually joined. And if you've been joined to the Lord, you're of one Spirit. There's a unity that comes with being in Christ. Look at chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Do you understand the significance that this offers? Think about this. Is Jesus important? You're one of the members in His body. So just by virtue of His significance, you become significant. Right? And and, and not, not to elevate you to the same level of Christ, but you function within that body. And that means every member of that body offers something to the body. That's exactly what is taught in all of these chapters That mentions the body of Christ Learn what it is that God has gifted you The abilities he's given to you as that particular member And then contribute with your significant contribution To the body And what security I don't think anybody's going to jog up to heaven Run over to the right hand of God And cut one of Jesus' fingers off Take off a toe You're not going to cut off his ear. I am secure in Christ. My, my life is hid with Christ in God. You, you talk about secure. If you wanted to get to me, if the devil wanted to get to me, he'd have to get in Christ who is hid in God. Good luck with that. <laughs> that is secure. That, that's not putting it in a safe and throwing away the key. That's that's putting it in a safe and then putting it in the safe owner in his house and putting it deep in the... Oh, I mean, you can go deeper and deeper. That is as safe as it can be. Look at uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Now, as a member of his body, I want you to see that there are certain things that Jesus did that are now... Because it's a part of him, it's a part of you. And again, this speaks to the significance and to the... Security. Uh, look, look with me at verse number 3. Romans 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ? Folks, that has nothing to do with water. There's no water there. This is a spiritual baptism that put you into Jesus, not into water. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you see that because Jesus died, buried, rose again, you have been joined to the Lord. You know what happened to you? Died, buried, risen again. So what Paul's going through this passage and saying is, here are some doctrinal truths... That are always going to be true of you. You're dead, buried, and raised with him. You're together with him. Now live like it. So he's saying these are the doctrinal facts. This is how God sees you. Now apply those spiritual truths and live them out. So as you come on down, look at verse uh, 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Speaking about Jesus, how he came back up, and now he's alive forevermore. Now, that's a, that's a fact. That's a truth. There's nothing that can change that. But then look at verse 11. Likewise. So he said just like this is true for Jesus and, and the Father, it needs to be true with you. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, guys, this is what the Bible means when it talks about living a crucified life. You understand there's a difference between the world's version of self-discipline because any lost person can discipline themselves, right? They can not eat certain things, exercise certain ways, just just, uh, have temperance in their life. Anybody can do that. The crucified life is more than just good discipline. The crucified life is saying in Christ, dead, buried, and risen again, and now I'm going to live unto God, And, and the lost man can't do that. We as saved people, we recognize we have a special place in Christ's body, special privileges that come with being in Him. Now we need to live as if we've come back from the dead. He's given us a second chance to live unto Him. We're free from sin because of that death. So that that takes self-discipline to another level. All right, let's go to the next one, 1 Corinthians 6. Come back to that, 1 Corinthians 6. And let's get verse number 19, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. The next thing I want to say is you are a possession of God. God owns you. God owns you. Possession of God. Verse 19, it says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Now, folks, if you can't get anything else out of this lesson, please take that home with you. You do not belong to you. If any of you, after this service, grab my car keys and run off with my car, I promise you there will be repercussions (laughs) because that is not your car. (laughs) Isn't that a simple truth? That's not yours. You can't go do what you want with my car. my car. Now, if you come and ask me nicely, pay me enough money, you can borrow it. (laughs) You can borrow it. We can work out. We can make a plan. We can make a plan. We can make a plan, but you cannot take my car without asking. Why? You don't possess it. You didn't pay for it. You asked the one who paid for it before you do anything with it. Now, somebody paid for you. Somebody owns you. Somebody possesses you. And before you do anything with you, you better ask the one that paid. Say, Lord, is this okay? Can I use my body? Can I use my spirit in this and this way? Because I don't own me. You paid, and you paid a high price. Security, if he's the owner, that means he's going to take care of me. He's the owner. Significance. You want to know how significant you are? Look at how much he paid to purchase you. Verse 20, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, That Talking about the church of God It says he purchased it with his own blood It was the blood of God Almighty Come down in human form As the Lord Jesus Christ that purchased you Friend, you are the pearl of great price You know what it says in that parable? And and I understand in a corporate sense You can think of the pearl of great price as the church But it's also true as an individual In an individual way Jesus looked at your lost, defiled, sinful soul and realized the price to redeem you was to offer up his life. And the Bible says in Matthew 13 in that parable, the one who found the pearl of great price sold everything to purchase that. He gave it all up. You look at what Jesus gave up. He gave up that time, that, that, the glory of the Father. He gave up the the comforts of heaven. He gave all that up, condescended, came down, uh, humbled himself and became not just a man but a servant to save your soul. Now that's an awfully big price tag. You better not take that lightly. You see how knowing this doctrinal truth, you wake up in the morning, check your dog tags. You might want to flip it over. You'll see the price tag on the back. (laughs) What did it cost to purchase me? The blood of Jesus Christ. Well, I don't want to tread that I don't want to tread underfoot the the blood of the Son of God. I, I want to hold that in high esteem. A possession of God. Let's come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. Next thing I'll say is now that you're in Christ, you are a saint. You're a saint. I even struggled to get that out without snickering a little bit, right? (laughs) You're a saint. As I grew up, I grew up as a Catholic, and not just a nominal Catholic. I practiced it. I studied it. I studied to be a priest. I never missed one Sunday of church. I never missed a youth event, everything. And so I I learned, I got familiar with the saints. I have a fourth name as a Catholic when you become a Confirmed, you take on a, a new name, you choose it So my name, my given name is Michael James Flick But I chose, a, you choose a saint's name I chose Saint Aloysius To this day, I don't even know how to spell that <laughs> I liked how it sounded, it's like Aloysius Aloysius, that's my name, Aloysius You gotta really have some rhythm to say it, Aloysius But he is the patron patron saint of the youth So in the Catholic Church's mind, he, from heaven, watches over all the youth. And I was 17 at the time, and I thought, that's fitting. Let me choose that as a name. So in the Catholic Church, you have to wait hundreds of years sometimes after you're dead, then they examine your life and see if you're worthy of sainthood. And then they will officially recognize you. A lot of good it does you. (laughs) You're not here anymore, but you're going to see now, you don't have to wait hundreds of years. The moment you receive Christ, The Bible calls you a saint. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, "...unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus." The word sanctified, it means you're set apart. Set apart. "...them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both, both theirs and ours." The the sanctified goes with the saints because the word saint means a holy one. It means one who has been set apart. That's a saint. You have been set apart from sin, right, from sin, but you're also set apart to holiness, to love, to living an unblameable, a blameless life. So you're set from this to that. You're a saint. Now, I I get it, though. When we look at how we live... We look at the outward we say, okay, I, I don't know if I qualify for sainthood. Be, but that's us using our own standards and observations. God looks down and says, I know that that person's soul has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. The sins have been, set away, have been cast away. You are set apart from your sins. Now God knows that of your soul. Now that inward truth needs to become an outward reality. Right? So the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That is a doctrinal truth. God looks at your soul and says, it's brand new. That's a new person in there. That's the new man. But what did Paul say in Philippians 2? Work out your salvation. I have it on the inside. Now let that thing out. <laughs> be the real you. Now I know the world takes that down a very dark path. Be the real you. Check your dog tags and go, who's the real me? Who does God say that I am? I don't care how you feel or what you think you are. What does God say that you are? And act like that. He says, I'm a saint, so I'm going to be holy because he's holy. Look at Romans chapter 5. Don't let the devil distract you and cause you to forget these wonderful truths that are true of you because you're in Christ. Romans 5, verse 9. Let's read verses 8 and 9. The next thing on the list is justified. You have been justified. Now, we could make this a long list here of various things that go along with being saved, but let me just use the word justified for now. Romans 5, verse 8. It says, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, Being now justified by His blood we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So talking about a future thing, the resurrection and all of that we get saved with a new body coming on. But He says now, right now we are justified by His blood. The word justified means to be declared righteous. So think about this. God has He he looked at your record. Everything you've said, thought, or done. He looked at the record. Now, if we just look at the record and everything you've done, we're not going to say you're innocent. We're not going to say you're righteous. Why? Romans 3 says there's, no, there's none righteous, no, not one. We look at the list and go, what did you do? What were you thinking? Listen, if you, truth be told, if our list got out there into the open, if God let everybody else have a peek at your list, you'd never, you'd never come around again. Nor would I. I wouldn't come around either. I'd be so ashamed and embarrassed that you know those things about me. (laughs) And praise God, all of those horrible things of my past, they're under the blood. And you'll never see them because they're covered by the blood. So when God looks at me, yes, those sins, it's a part of me, but I'm covered by the blood. Those, the, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. I've been washed clean by His blood. So now He looks at my soul, and instead of seeing the defilement of my sin, He sees a sinless soul because the sins have been washed away. So you know what He can properly say? Innocent. I declare you righteous. Now with God, there is no double jeopardy. God has already declared me innocent. He can't go back and bring me back to the courtroom and go, Oh, changed my mind, now you're guilty. <laughs> I've been declared innocent. So understand this. This comes in two parts. You know, when you go to court, they say, The case, uh, the case of the state versus you. right? The, the case of this versus that. So the case of God versus Mike Flick as a sinner, that case has already been tried. You say, where was it tried? Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he took the judgment, the punishment that I deserved. My my guilty verdict was given to him, and the punishment for my sins was given to him, and it's taken care of at the cross. When I come to Jesus at the cross and say, I accept what you're doing on that cross. I accept the fact that you rose up from the dead. That means that you weren't dying for your sins. You were dying for mine. If he's dying for his sins, he wouldn't rise up. The fact that he rose again means he died for your sins. Somebody else's sins, not his own. So I come to him and I say, what you did at the cross and what you did by leaving that tomb, I believe that this proves you alone are able to wash me clean and make me right with God. And right then and there, God says, I can already pass judgment. This man's innocent. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed him from all sin. Now, if you're not hiding under the shadow of the cross, you'll one day face that judgment. and You're not going to hear an innocent verdict. The only outcome that you could possibly have is guilty because that's what you are. But in Christ, you have security because the court case is already finished. Now, that's the case of God versus Mike Flick, the sinner. That case has been judged. Now there is also a future examination. The examination of Mike Flick as a servant of Christ. This is what we call the judgment seat of Christ. And that is a separate case. That's not the same case of of Mike Flick's eternal sins against a Holy God. That thing's been settled. But what I did with God's grace as a child of God, my service is going to be examined. So that's a separate thing. But, praise God, my soul is justified. Look at Colossians 1. And this kind of flows naturally into that. This next thing, you are redeemed and forgiven. And that will never change. Colossians 1, verse 14. Colossians 1, 14. It says... In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, I've already mentioned a lot of what would help you understand this when I was talking about justification. But let me say just a little bit more about redeemed and forgiven. To be redeemed means the sins have been paid for. Redemption is a price that needs to be paid to purchase something. That's redemption. To be forgiven means you are loosed from a debt means that you owed something, but now you no longer owe it. So understand, those are not the same thing. In the Old Testament, they had forgiveness. Forgiveness was possible, but not redemption. Because redemption only came through the blood of Christ. That was the cost, that was the payment that had to be made. So in the Old Testament, God could forgive sins, but He could not. You can read this in Exodus chapter 34. He could never acquit the wicked. He couldn't say to that wicked man, you're innocent. He couldn't clear the sins away. What did John the Baptist say when Jesus showed up? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. The sins of the Old Testament. Those saints couldn't have their sins taken away. But they could be forgiven. What does it mean to be forgiven? God looks down and says, okay, you don't have to pay for that. Now that's all that it means. You don't have to pay for that. Somebody does, but you don't. So if somebody owes you money, and then they come and say, listen, I, I can't pay back that hundred rand I borrowed, I'm sorry, forgive me. And you say, okay, forgiven. don't worry about it. Okay, do they have to pay you the hundred rand? No, you said that they don't. But, but the one who forgave you is then taking on that cost and saying, well, I'll eat the cost. I'll pay for your mistake. And that's what God did. God says, okay, I'll forgive you. And down through time, he's been forgiving people for centuries. But then eventually God comes down in human form and says "All right, I'll pay the cost All the sins that I've been forgiving I'm going to come down and shed my blood to pay for all those sins of the past And every sin that will ever happen And that's why we read in in Romans chapter 3 verse 25 That that blood was a propitiation, a payment for the sins of the past And it also justifies anybody that believes now So we have redemption and forgiveness Because of the blood of Jesus Christ The sins are paid for And we don't have to pay Praise God, what a wonderful truth And again, security It's been paid I don't have to go to God and say, hey, can I pay again? It's paid right, look at Colossians chapter 2 Next thing Colossians 2, just a few more things here Colossians 2 verse 10 Next thing on the list, you are complete in him you are complete. You have everything you need to be the person you're supposed to be because you're in Christ. You say, well, I haven't been to Bible school and I don't have a theological degree. And you, In Christ, you have the tools you need to grow at the pace that God wants you to grow. Look at Colossians 2, verse 10. And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, what was happening with these Colossians people and and many people back in these biblical times they were being told okay you have Jesus but that's not enough you also have to have the law of Moses you have to become Jew and uh, become Jewish have Jewish culture get circumcised and live a Jewish life or they would say you need to speak to an angel you need to have some other divine revelation from heaven plus what Jesus said They would say, okay, you have Jesus, but now you need this philosophy. You have to have these man-made commandments. And Paul is saying, you don't need any of that. If you have Christ, you have everything you need. Security. Significance. I don't have to look at the next guy and say, oh, shame, he has a Ph.D., so there's no way I can serve God as much as he can. No, no, I am able to do as much as I can for Christ because Christ will give me the gifts and abilities to serve him. So in Christ, I'm not saying, okay, now that you're saved, you're fully equipped and you never have to grow. You still need to grow and mature, but you have everything you need in Christ to properly grow and mature. So now I take that biblical truth, I check my dog tags, and I say, all right, Lord, you will give me what I need to grow. Help me to grow. Help me to change. Next thing, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. In verse number six, the Bible tells us here that you're accepted. This is a big thing, and, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. People are worried about being accepted, especially young folks as they grow up. It's a big deal when you get rejected by your social circles. It's it's tough on a person to not be accepted by the people around them. Well, you can take great courage in this. You made the team. <laughs> You don't have to look at the cut list and go, oh, shame, I didn't make it. All you need to do to qualify for this team is be a horrible sinner (laughs) and humble enough to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you do, praise God, you made the team. And you have been accepted by the only one that really matters (laughs) Ephesians 1, verse 6 to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. Do you see where these things are true? You're complete in Him. You are accepted in Him. You have been joined to the Lord. You're in Him. All of this is true because you're in Him. You've been accepted. And and, and now that you've made the team, now that you're, can we say, under the uh, captainship of Jesus, I'm not sure if that's a real word, He is going to train you, teach you as a good coach, and say, this is how you function on this team. I'll give you the tools you need to make you useful. And then lastly, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. You know there's been many a day, whether it's church or life, I just it, it doesn't have to be a Sunday, it could be any day. You meet somebody, you get to talking with them about the Lord, and they don't receive the message. You know, you get up to preach sometimes, and sometimes it's well-received, and sometimes it's not. And, and one of the nagging thoughts as a preacher is you go home and think, well, that, did, that didn't go over well, and you kind of feel this thing, well, it's them versus me. And, and that's not true. That's just the devil trying to get me all stirred up and confused. But it's not them versus me. We're on the same team. You've been accepted. I've been accepted. Say, I didn't like that sermon, didn't like that lesson. I thought you could have done better. Probably so. But hey, it doesn't matter how good I preach, I'm accepted. It doesn't mean that my sermon is always great, it doesn't mean my service is always perfect. It means because I'm in Christ, I'm accepted. And when I fail, God says, okay, we'll work on that. He doesn't unaccept me, He, He doesn't unfriend me on Facebook. (laughs) <laughs> I hate just saying that, but anyway, all right. So I had to speak your language for a second, right? I had to relate. Second Timothy 2 verse 3, the last thing here, he, you, you have been chosen to be a soldier. Yep. Fitting place to finish when we're talking about dog tags. Check your dog tags. Now just look, they're dog, dog tags. Dog tag, You're a soldier. That's why you're wearing dog tags. So verse three: Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you enlisted in the Lord's army. We sing that song and we sing it well. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. Right. That's that's our That's our call. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places and the rulers of the darkness of this world. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Stand therefore. And having done all, stand. You're a soldier. Don't forget that. And when it gets tough, you need to remind yourself of your identity in Christ. Hey, bless God, I'm a soldier. And uh, I'm going to have some fiery darts thrown at me. I'm a soldier. I should expect to have some unfriendly fire coming my way and God forbid some friendly fire from time to time. (laughs) But I'm a soldier. So what do I do when it's tough and I'm tired and I don't feel like it? Hey, you're a soldier. Quit whining and get up and serve the Lord. Amen. I know you don't get that much in churches nowadays, right? In churches now, it's all about entertainment and coddling people and tickling ears, but that's not what, a, that's not what the drill sergeant does. God helped the army where the drill sergeant entertains you with smoke machines and lights and coddles you and offers you lollipops instead of a good hard sermon and says, this is what the battle is about. Now rise up to the battle. Onward to the battle. Let's go. Let's fight. The church where I came out of, we had one guy named Luciano. Luciano, as you can tell by the name, you know, he had a bit of a, an Italian thing. It was a Luciano. Almost every service, before Dr. Upman would get up to preach, Lucia, the, the church would get quiet. We were kind of a, uh, I don't say a loud church. We weren't out of hand, but we said amen. We praised the Lord, you know. We put a hand up. We didn't, we got into that. But Luciano, he, he would, <laughs> real loud, he, he'd say, to the battle! right before the sermon he'd yell that out to the battle <laughs> to the point where every sunday we became to ex- we started to expect it you know and it was our, our commander so to speak is going to get up and give us some battle instructions to the battle it, just a nice reminder of okay we're in boot camp <laughs> we're getting ready for the battle you're a soldier now the devil is going to try to get you to disbelieve your spiritual dog tags he's going to try to get you to look let you look at it you look at it and you go, yeah, but I, I just don't feel like that's true. Or I know, what that, I know it says that, but how can that be true? It's true because you're in Christ. It's true because you're in Christ. So even though he lets you see it, at the very least, he's going to try to get you to disregard it and act contrary to who you really are. Never forget your identity in Christ. All right, let's all stand. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for our spiritual dog tags. Thank you for these wonderful truths. And it's all because of you, Lord. This is not because we made ourselves your children. We didn't make ourselves acceptable to you or saintly or complete or justified, Lord. This is all because of Jesus Christ, all because of his blood, all because you loved us the way that you do. Father, help us to live out these doctrinal truths, make them practical realities, Father, bless the service to come and our fellowship now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.